Thank you, um, my friend. That information wasn't meant for you. It was, we came together, I came together with Singi and Mark Lin Yin. Um, we both did a little workshop yesterday with your, a group of leaders from this church um, on the whole area of discernment. Um, so I'm very grateful. Just I want them to stand maybe so that they, you can recognize them as well. We came as a team. Yeah. And I'm grateful to your pastor for this, for this invitation to, um, to have an opportunity to be with you, to share the word of God. And what I'm going to do really is this. Um, I will share from Luke 24. And then um, my last probably five to ten minutes, uh, I will show you a video. The video is the ministry of the Institute for Christian Ministry, which is the work that I do full-time, which is based in track headquarters in PJ. And what we do really is we go around churches um, and we take people away for retreats. So if you are really interested in retreats, if you are like wondering what in the world is silent retreats, right? Please come and talk to us. Uh, Singi and Mark, it will be uh, also here a little bit after service. Um, and we will tell you a little bit more. And the video will give you an, some idea of what, um, what contemplative tradition is, yeah? what uh, reflection is about, and what silent retreat uh, uh, can help us to be a bit more attentive uh, to God in our lives. So let me just uh, start with this. Huh? The title of my message this morning is called Two Unending Dialogues. You know, in the recent months, I've been reflecting on community, and particularly Christian communities. And due to the nature of what I do, because of, of the work that I, I do, and I get to travel and meet different groups of Christian uh, communities and leaders, one of the recurring themes I notice is this. Now, just because we do things together for years, it does not mean naturally mean that we do life together. Let me repeat. Huh? Just because we do things together, it doesn't naturally mean that we do life together. Doing things is really often about accomplishing tasks. And doing life, I think, is about sharing of our hearts. But what does it mean to do life together as Christians? So a month, a, a couple of months back, I visited an open-air um, museum in Japan. This is in Hakone, about an hour or two from, from the city of Tokyo. And I stumbled upon a sculpture that looked like a pair of wings of sort. And their slow movements were powered by the wind. So imagine this, huh? it's like two, it's like a pair of wings that will move at all sorts of direction according to the direction of the wind. And it's a really quiet piece of sculpture. But what really caught my attention was the caption which read, Never Ending Dialogue. That was the name of the sculpture. And the artist is Susumu Shingu. And I googled a little bit about him later when I returned back. And it's really interesting, you know, Susumu Shingu draws his inspiration from the environment because he believes that nature offers us wisdom for living. Therefore, one must have a lifelong dialogue with nature. So one of Susumu's dreams is this, and I thought it's really interesting. He wants to create a village or a community that can be powered by the wind. And so he's thinking about how do we then create windmills that can be gener that can be gener uh, where power and energy can be generated through wind, you know, um, instead of the normal turbine technology, you know, that, that powers it. So turbine uh, technology apparently is very, very loud, but windmill is, is quiet. Yeah? So I thought that was quite interesting. So his inspiring work has since stayed in my heart. And as, as I think about Christian communities, I wonder, what, does, what really powers our community? What gives us power? What directs us? Where does wisdom come from? Where do you get your wisdom? 
And what does dialogue really look like in community life? Paul Turnier, who is a writer, who's also a doctor, says this, there are two things we cannot do alone. One is to be married, obviously, right? And the other is to be a Christian. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you that you are the center of our community and that because of you, we are here today. And as we reflect on your word this morning, we ask that, Lord, you may teach us again to be open to all that you desire to speak and to show us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The passage that was read to us this morning is a story of two disciples who were leaving Jerusalem for Emmaus. Now, this was the third day since Jesus had died. He was buried, and then they discovered that his body was missing. So can you imagine uh, that this must be a very confusing time for the disciples? They had lived, worked, ministered together with Jesus. There was so much hope in what they were doing. He was like their hope, right? And then suddenly, he died. And I think in a time like this, the two disciples, one of them being Cleopas, were probably thinking about going home to where they were more familiar with now, not quite sure what's going to happen. So go home first. So Emmaus is probably their home. So they were leaving Jerusalem, walking back home. Maybe to a life they used to live before they met Jesus. And I think probably while they were walking, they were recalling the times that they had spent with the Lord Jesus Christ and trying to make sense of all that had just taken place. Now what they did not anticipate is that the risen Christ was going to join them in this road trip. They didn't anticipate that. And because the risen Christ joined them on this road trip and this conversation, it changed the course of their direction. And I want to suggest two practices that struck me from this passage in terms of community and dialogues modeled by Jesus. The first is what I call the practice of spiritual conversation. Jesus has a very polished art of conversation. Often very non-threatening, very inviting. No spiritual conversations are slower in pace, much like the sculpture powered by the wind. You can't have a spiritual conversation and have this quick exchange of words and debates, you know. But in verse 15, uh, it's interesting to see, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now, they couldn't recognize him at that point. He was just an ordinary man, they thought. And then as Jesus was listening in, he then asked, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? So imagine you're having a conversation with someone and then someone else comes in and then as he listens in, he asks you, what is this conversation you're talking about? And then the disciples obviously is like, this is the news of the day, you know, okay? Don't you know what had happened? They ask. And surely, surely Jesus knew, Right? Surely Jesus knew. Yet he asked what things. I think it's Jesus' way of inviting the disciples into a conversation with him so that he could listen to their hearts. And I think as they were trying to narrate the story, you will soon see that they came to this point where they said, you know, we really had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. 
the disciples revealed their disappointment. Now, in spiritual conversations, we learn to listen. We learn to ask questions that allow people to share more deeply. What is the quality of your conversations with each other in this community of faith? What is the quality of conversation in this particular community, of, in, in, in Penang Trinity? You know, while we all long for community, many of us are fearful. For Christian communities to work, it needs to be a safe listening space. A kind of listening and where, you know, our doubts, whether our doubts about God or our doubts about our faith can be explored freely without people judging us. So if one day I say to you, I cannot pray, I don't know who God is. I'm not sure what this Christian life is about. Can these questions be explored in this community? Or will you be judged for asking those questions? So for Christian communities to work, you need a safe listening space. where struggles, worries, and fears can also be shared without people trying to fix us up. You know what? Listening is a very hard thing to do. Listening is not an easy thing to do because we all have our own agendas and our preferences. We don't have to even think about this community of faith. Think about your own family life. Is it easy to listen to your spouse? Is it easy to listen to your children? Is it easy to listen to your parents? Now imagine now, bring all that into church life. So how can we listen differently? You know, the highlight of the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus is when Jesus entered into their conversation. Now, that made all the difference. It changed the conversation. It allows a deepening of hearts. It is no longer just about the things that had happened, but it gave them an opportunity to recognize God at work. And God, who is at work, in the events of their life. So this is the first kind of dialogue we must learn to have if we desire a spiritual community. So while we are interested to get people to say, join the choir, join the LCC, join this committee, be in a small group, go to missions, which they're all good things and important things. So while we are interested to do all that, how can we be more interested also in the day-to-day -day lives of the individuals? What are, pre what are preoccupying people's hearts and minds? What concerns and burdens are people carrying? What's happening between them and God? Are these the kind of conversations we have with one another? I think some of us have. Maybe for some of us, it's a little bit more foreign. Can we begin conversations like that with each other? So reflect on your conversations with each other. Maybe in your small group. In your leadership group in your ministry group. When you gather, I imagine you gather quite regularly. What do you talk about? So spiritual conversations pay attention to what God is doing and around us. It requires people to learn to listen to each other and eventually to God for each other.
That's the first practice, spiritual conversation. I want to suggest a second practice. This will probably give you some context. The practice of hospitality and of creating space. You know, meals are Jesus' way to connect with the disciples. Jesus is one of the most hospitable person in his time. For him, it's not just about the food. Hospitality paves the way for him to have conversations with people. He created space for others. You know, remember his conversation with Peter in John 21, after he, res- he was resurrected? He appeared to the disciples at the seashore. And that was the time, can you imagine, if you remember the story, Peter had denied Jesus, right? And imagine having denied your master and not, not knowing what has happened. You must be broken because he had almost proclaimed that if everyone else leave you, I will not, right? But here's Peter recognizing that he had denied Jesus. The very thing that Jesus had actually uh, predicted that he would do. But now that Jesus had died, he must be a broken person. But here's where at the shore, Jesus had a conversation with Peter. Remember the, the, the passage about him, do you love me, Peter? That passage. So imagine that poignant conversation. And in that conversation, you know what Jesus did before he had the conversation? We always say, you know, Jesus prepared breakfast. He had grilled fish, prepared barbecued fish early morning when the disciples were coming back from fishing. Invited them for a meal. And then he had a private conversation with Peter. And it was a poignant conversation that led to Jesus as the risen Christ to restore Peter's heart and a new vision. That's the Jesus we serve. Now, as the disciples were talking with Jesus on the Emmaus Road, it's quite interesting. They they had invited him to stay with us for a while. Now, the disciples must have felt some connection with him because prior to that, what Jesus had done was that he expounded scripture, reminding them, you know, you are all so slow to, to, to believe. No, didn't I say, was, didn't scripture tell you everything about me, that I will suffer and enter into his glory? So he reminded them. So he expounded scripture just before this. And then the disciples must have felt some connection with this man right now. And then say, come and stay with us. And when he went to their home, they shared a meal. And interestingly, Jesus turned the table and took over as host. He broke the bread, he blessed it and gave it to them. And immediately they recognized him. So at that point at the meal time, the people the disciples must have suddenly recollected probably the, the Last Supper or maybe the feeding of the 5,000. And they suddenly recognize this is Jesus. There's something about the gift of hospitality. It is shared space that deepens connection. You know, hospitality is really not about good food. It's not about a, a beautiful home. It's not about your beautiful set of cutleries. Hospitality is about creating space for others. It is a way of building community, of sharing stories. And eventually, as we share stories, we begin to also learn to share God's work in our lives. And without us knowing, Jesus, the unseen guest, becomes the host of the meal. That's when transformation happens. 
No, there was a story told by Dr. David Banner, who's a Christian psychologist, of him about and 30 university students. This happened in Switzerland, where they were all invited to, to Dr. Paul Turnier's home, the Swiss uh, physician. He was about 80 years old at that time. So Banner writes this. Banner was one of the 30 university students. And he was recalling this. He says, Arriving with 30 eager university students, I was warmly greeted by Dr. Turnier at his home in Geneva. He invited us into his backyard. There, he first spoke to each of us individually, slowly asking each of us what our names were, where we came from, and some questions about our lives. 30 of them, he went one by one. It was astonishing. He seemed to be and genuinely was interested in our lives. And at that point, we were all strangers to him. But then he offered us a gift that really took our breath away. He slowly walked to a garden shed, steadied by the arm of his nurse. After several minutes, he, em he emerged with a pile of flags, moving toward a flagpole that was in the centre of his yard. He proceeded to hoist the flag of the country of birth of each of the 30 guests. So can you imagine this scene? Eh? As each flag was raised, he welcomed us and told us how honoured he was to have, to have us in his home. This ceremony lasted nearly an hour and it was one of the most moving acts of hospitality I have ever witnessed. Paul Turnier was a master host. He created space for others in his life. So my friends, community doesn't happen by accident. How can you create space for someone this week, if I were to ask you? This week, maybe share a meal with someone, maybe invite someone out for a meal. But then don't just eat lah. Maybe ask one another what's happening in your life. And then if you can, move to a next question. Hey, what's, what's God doing uh, in your life? Most people will be like, uh, I don't know. It's okay, so you don't know. Lah. Then maybe you meet again a month later. And then you ask again. Hey, so how are things? And then after a while, so what do you think God is doing? Uh, don't know. Try again that month. You learn to cultivate a kind of a conversation, right? Then eventually we all be like, oh, I'm going to meet my friend. She's going to ask me what is God doing. So do a little bit of review. Like, what, has been, what has God been doing? Uh? Right? Okay, so why do we do this? Why do, why, what are the benefits for community life? What are the benefits for community? We all can answer this. I think we all will probably say, oh, then we learn to love each other, we learn to care for one another, we support each other. And I think that's, that's a given, right? And that's something um, that we all know. But I want to mention two benefits on top of what you already know. Huh? Firstly, I think community guards us against hypocrisy. You know, Henry Nouwen says this, hypocrisy is not so much the result of not living what we preach, but much more of not confessing our inability to fully live up to our own words. Let me repeat that. Hypocrisy is not so much the result of not living what we preach, but much more of not confessing our inability to fully live up to our own words. Therefore, the best cure for hypocrisy is community, he says. So my friends, what all this means is this. If we are honest with ourselves, we know that we are unable to always walk our talk. Would that be right? 
No? Do we always walk our talk? I think all of us will say that we don't always do what we know is right. We don't always do what we know we are called to do or to be. And that's why Paul in Romans talk about, you know, why is it that we do what we are not supposed to do and then we don't do what we are supposed to do, you know, the wretched souls that we are in Romans. Yeah? So the way around this really is to learn to share our struggles honestly in a safe community of trusted friends to be able to have a group who we can say, you know, I don't know how to love my husband without people bashing you up. Oh, you're a bad wife, you know. I don't know how to love my, my elderly mother. Not because you don't love, but you struggle. How do we have a community like that that can, we hold, us, that can hold us in prayer? Reminding us the need to listen to what the Spirit of God may want to invite us to. Community guards us against hypocrisy so that we can share our struggles and allow people to pray over us so that God can transform us. The second benefit for community life is this. Any group of people who work or serve together or live together over time will encounter conflicts. We don't pray to say, no God, we don't want conflicts. Take away conflicts. But we can pray. What do we do, Lord, when we encounter conflicts? Only spiritual communities can handle and survive conflicts. A.W. Tozer says this, has it occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. In times of conflict, we learn to retune our piano to that one fork. We learn to disarm, let down our guard, surrender our agendas in order to hear that one fork. The Spirit of God is that one fork. The voice of God is that one fork. God is that one fork. What is He saying to us? Both these benefits speak of our sense of unity and witness to the world. A divided church has no message for a divided world. Let me conclude. I want to suggest a spiritual community model called 321, Following Christ in Trees. This is a book written by Dr. Tan Suin. You might have heard him. And he says this, find three people of the same gender, meet for two hours once a month. Three people, two hours, once a month. Three, two, one. Where you share a meal together, and after that, you take turns to share with each other what's going on in your life. You could talk about your work, you could talk about your family, you could talk about something more personal. Share one high, one low. What has been one high in this last one month for you? What has been one low in this one month for you? And then pray for each other. It doesn't take very long. Two hours, three people. It is doable. I do this in my own community, in my church. 
We have a 4 to one that lasted for two years. We are now taking a break. In the last nine months, I'm part of a group of nine, eight people. We meet once a month. We take turns. Sometimes it's in our home. Sometimes it's in somebody else's home. And when we meet, we, we, one of the things we say, we have simple meal. You know, it can be really simple. Porridge, if you want one bowl of porridge, that's it. And then after that, we take turns round the table to share a high and a low. And just this last week, when we came together, it was amazing, I will tell you this. Because each one had now understood what this is about. And at the end, we asked, well, what is God doing? And we realized that everyone was so aware of what God was doing. Now, of course, in the first time when we met in January, that didn't quite happen. But we still shared our high and low. Now, nine months down the road, last week, each could tell what God was doing. Isn't that amazing? To come together and see what God is doing in the community. And one particular story stayed with me. This particular person in our group had, had felt led to leave her job to start a business of her own last year. But over the last one and a half years, it has just been difficult. Set up the company, people came in and out. Um, eventually, a lot of people, it, there were a lot of conflicts, a lot of problems, and eventually the major contract that he had that brought in the most income was terminated. At the point when he sh she shared this all with us, she, she said this, you know, I never said this to you all, but actually end of last year, I, I heard the Lord say to me, focus and obey. Two words. And then she said, but you know what? I did not focus and I did not obey. To come to a place to admit uh, that the Lord had said something to you, but you did not respond to the way that he has asked of you, requires some amount of courage, isn't it? To, to, to tell a group that. But yet she wasn't condemned because she knew the Lord was with her. Neither did we condemn her. I think we all heard her, supported her, encouraged her. So for her, it's learning to return to the Lord in her business practice. What does it mean to focus on God and to obey Him in his, her business practice? So my friends, you can create space in your schedule. If you can, create space in your heart. Create space between yourselves and God. Three, two, one. Think about it. Did not our hearts burn with us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened to us scriptures, when the disciples knew this is of God? Remember, they were going back to Emmaus, but when they knew this is God speaking to them, and this is the risen Christ, they aborted their plan to Emmaus, and they returned back to Jerusalem. It redirected them. That's what God does with us. It will transform us. It will transform our direction. It helps us ask this question, was that God? It helps us cultivate a discerning heart and a discerning community. Let me end with this quote. If we cannot listen to our brother whom we can see, how can we listen to God whom we cannot see? Individuals who know how to listen to each other will have a greater capacity to listen to God. So I want to leave with you this. There are two unending dialogues to cultivate. One is an unending dialogue with God. The other is an unending dialogue with one another. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you will teach us to be mindful of you, to be sensitive to you. We ask that you will enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we may recognize you in our lives. Pray that you will increase the desires in this community to create space for each other and to build a community that allows you to transform one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now I want to show us a video and that's the ministry of ICM. It gives you an idea of what we do and if you do have questions later, uh, I'm more than happy to uh, 
have a chat with you. Thank you. Spiritual formation and discipleship are two sides of the same coin. This coin is sanctification, God's loving work of redemption and conversion of our hearts and minds to be more like Him. It's a lifelong journey growing in Christ-likeness. And growing together as the body of Christ is at the heart of ICM's focus on spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is a spiritual renovation of the heart, strength, our mind and our soul by the Holy Spirit. It involves a daily denying of the self until we are transformed into Christ-likeness from the inside out. I was facing a very tough time at work and I felt the need to connect with God at a deeper level. So I decided to go on a silent retreat. He addressed the deeper issues I had and assured me in a very real way of his love and care for me. I still face very challenging situations, but I've learned to have honest conversations with God and to be more aware of his presence. When my doctor told me that I had a tennis ball-sized tumour inside my ribcage, it was like receiving a death sentence. I was struggling with fear and questioning God, why, where are you? Later, I realised that God is always there and He knows what I am going through. I learned that peace is from totally depending on God and understanding what matters to Him. God created us in His own image, but sin spoiled that image. Spiritual formation is God's work in us and our cooperation with Him to restore that image, which is in Jesus Christ. I had these big plans of how I would pursue my dreams, and I was desperate for God to affirm these directions in my life. One night when I was sleeping, I could hear God speaking to me and He's asking me, if I ask you for this, would you give it to me? I woke up weeping because I knew what it meant. It had meant that I had to give up the rights to my life and I was consumed by grief. But there was also that assurance that God can still be trusted. So the real question was this, do you trust me with your whole life? And it was a struggle, but it's still a work in progress. For the past 15 years, I struggled very intensely with unhealthy work habits, the need to achieve, to earn the approval of others and to exceed expectations was always on my mind. But through the journey, God restored my heart with a new vision. He opened my spiritual eyes to see that I'm not what I do, I'm not what others think I am, and I'm not what I have. He showed me my true identity is as a child of God. Spiritual formation is about growing into maturity in Christ. This involves being engaged in various spiritual disciplines that helps one draw closer to God and become more like Jesus. The Christian teachers who attended these retreats were greatly blessed. Every one of them went home having heard from the Lord. And silent retreats have given me the luxury and freedom to spend time alone with God. I find myself in deeper communion with the Lord in meditation, prayer and reflection. Growing up as an Indian girl in Malaysia greatly shaped my identity and lack of self-worth. Minority in every way, um, I felt I had to strive hard to prove myself, to gain respect. So over the years, the Lord has uh, really challenged me to discover all of who I am, my identity in Him, by stripping away all these other things that I put around me for identity. And rather, He's shown me then my true identity and worth as well. That, along with grasping of all of who God is, has really freed me to do all that He has called me to do and be as well. Spiritual disciplines like making time for silence, solitude and spiritual conversations have really helped me to pay attention to God and the work of God in my life. How aware are we of what God is doing in our lives? How attentive are we to His invitation at different seasons? How are we cultivating a ready willingness to respond to 
and cooperate with Him? These are some questions we might want to ask in our journey of growing in Christ-likeness. Ultimately, the purpose of spiritual formation is that we may be led into a greater wholeness, a greater capacity and readiness to respond to God's love, and a greater freedom in following Him. ICM creates sacred spaces for you to come before God as who you truly are because He already knows you. As He shapes my inner life, it also then shapes my ministry and my leadership. I'm just so thankful to God for redeeming my family, ministry and work life. Thanks, Sister Wiling, for sharing God's Word to us this morning. Uh, for the hymn of dedication, let us turn to UMH 617. As this hymn may be new to some of us, can we ask Fortune to play once?
say the benediction responsively as projected. Go in peace to journey together in the love and wisdom of Jesus Christ. Spiritual. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. announcements this morning. Uh, firstly, we'd like to um, appreciate and uh, thank uh, Wailing for um, speaking to us. We also uh, would like to welcome, of course, the other leaders from Trek who are with the team. Uh, Mr. Cheong Sengi from Sungai Wei uh, Subang Methodist Church and also Mr. Mark Linin from the Grace Methodist Church from Sentul. Um, they led us through a very blessed experience of exploring a group discernment for church leaders. So thanks for that. We also like to um, now welcome uh, our other visitors and guests. Uh, if you're here for the first time, can you please stand or wave where you are? We'd like to welcome you. Uh, stand as uh, Ms. Funita and family from the Indonesia. <laughs> welcome. Welcome. Okay. Um, next, we would like to um, uh, say that um, we do have our, uh, our church anniversary coming up next week. So in preparation for, for, um, for that, we have uh, two renewal services uh, this Friday and this Saturday at 8.30 p.m. in this church. Uh, the speaker is none other than our track president, uh, the Reverend Dr. T. Jayakumar. Um, so please, uh, please do uh, come. And on the Sunday itself, um, we have a Sunday combined worship. Um, and the speaker is uh, Mr. Yap Kunroy. Uh, Mr. Yap is our conference uh, lay leader, our track conference lay leader. Hello, my precious friends from Penang Trinity. Thank you for the privilege to me to share God's word with you this next Sunday. I've always been fascinated by reasons people coming to church, fascinated by the relationships build in church and what keeps us going. On behalf of the Board of Leyti, we'd like to encourage our track churches to journey on where the family is a primary cycle. Looking forward again this Sunday. God bless. Please note, please note that this uh, Sunday worship service starts at 10 a.m. and not like what's printed in the bulletin. It's, it's at 10 a.m. Um, the next is uh, we'll have our World Federation uh, Day service in our church at, uh, on Friday, 11th of October at 8.30 p.m. And we will have our um, first aid training um, for two days on the 5th and 12th of October from 8.30 to 5.30 p.m. And it's uh, 20 ringgit. Um, we also like to extend our condolences um, to Karen Leong, to Mrs. Karen Leong, on the, on the demise of her beloved father, the late Mr. Julian Leonard Tam. Uh, we share Karen's grief with, um, with the rest of her family, her husband, Mr. Leong Ting Leong, who is our BB uh, captain and their children, Matthias and Elena. The funeral is held in Manila, Philippines. We also um, would like to um, share our condolences to uh, James Un and family at the demise of his father, the late uh, Mr. Peter Un Yen Bing, who uh, worshipped at the Jilotong Chinese Methodist Church. The wake is at the United Hokkien Cemeteries, Hall 5, Hall S. Okay, um, thank you very much. Have a blessed Sabbath. Thank you. 